and golf is something where you're either all in or you're not. And now it's like I'm getting to the point where I'm like, the half in, half out isn't working. I need to make a change and I have to do something drastic if I'm ever going to get to a different level. So now I'm getting to a point where I'm like, I'm going to do everything I can to finish out this season in caddy and then I'm going to be all in next year. Like everything I possibly can. All right, guys, this week I'm super pumped to have on a guy who I think is extremely interesting. He's had a pretty badass career in golf to date. You know, he's done a lot of different roles. He's been a caddy at Cypress, caddy at Pebble, PGA associate. Right now he's working on going pro. Taylor Shlom, how's it going? Awesome, man. How are you? Thank you for having me. Dude, I'm I'm excited to have you on. I'm feeling pumped. I just got a new golf bag today, so that's pretty badass. So energy's high, dude. Is that the vessel that I saw? Dude, it's a vessel. I, yeah. I went to the vessel store in uh, Carlsbad today. I'm walking out, and guess who I see, dude? Give me something. Ben Baller. Oh, no shit. Yeah, dude. Ben Baller was walking out of the vessel store because I guess he's like sponsored by TaylorMade or something. I know TaylorMade and Vessel sure. work closely. But I'm like, sure, sure. I look over my girlfriend. I'm like, holy shit, that's Ben Baller. She's like, who's that? I'm like, look him up on Instagram. The guy's got like 2 million followers. It's, yeah. Dude. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Oh, so anyways, sick, man. Dude. But nice. going back to you, uh, dude, a lot to cover. So can you kind of just give us a quick elevator speech, introduce yourself to the people, let them know who you are? Sure. Yeah. So um, from a really rural part of Northern California, like if you know where Sacramento is, I grew up about two hours north of there, which is where I currently am right now. Uh, outside of a town called Chico, like Kurt Kitayama, Aaron Rodgers are from there. So I'm from like the fields outside of that town, basically. It's where I grew up. Uh, pretty much played golf since I was two years old, since I could walk. Uh, my grandfather was actually a pitcher for the Angels, but like swore too much, got way too many like fines from the MLB, and so he decided he couldn't really do it anymore. So he took Dude, up what's golf. What's up with the baseball? Like, do they just breed baseball players there or what? Yeah, I think so. Pretty much. Yeah, yeah. It's a it's a great breeding ground for athletes. Period. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So he wound up taking up golf and. Uh, when I was a kid, used to just kind of go up on the weekends to this little nine-holer, play golf with him, learn how to take the old dude's money. That was kind of a huge confidence boost for me. Like, oh, this is kind of fun, you know? But he always taught me, like, have a good golf swing, work really hard, and taught me all the good stuff, you know? So kind of followed in his footsteps for a while. He passed away when I was a kid, and so I kind of was like, oh, I don't know, I'll play golf for a while. High school comes up. My dad's like, do you want to play? I got some old crappy clubs. I'm like, all right, sure, let's go. Again, same thing, shitty nine-holer, mostly clover and clay. It's not like even turf, uh, learning how to hit the ball out of the crap. Um, started off shooting like 100 when I was a freshman in high school. The next year was shooting like 80. The next year was like breaking 70 and then playing really well. Breaking uh, 70, dude? Really? I, yeah, it was like in a junior too? senior in high school. Yeah, I'd say the courses were pretty benign. They weren't like anything big, but like – Huge confidence boost as a kid when you can shoot like in the 60s. Um, got looked at from like some smaller schools like UNR and Reno and things like that. I actually wound up just going as far away from home as I could, just went to Southern California as I could, you know, uh, and played for a JC down there, Glendale Community College. Um, had an okay experience, like never won, had a couple top tens, um, played some good courses, got some really good like learning experience. Realized college golf wasn't for me. Amateur golf wasn't for me. I grew up super broke and poor, dude. Like mobile home, you know, just all that good stuff. Uh, 
So I come home one year and was thinking about trying to go maybe play somewhere else for like a state school. One of my buddies, I'm like 19 at the time, goes, oh, I'm going to go play in this tournament, some NorCal Open or something like that. Why don't you come play with me? Just turn pro, dude. Fuck it. Like, yeah. you're Wait, broke. So this is you your can't 19? afford to go play. This was like after Glendale or like right after you're, yeah. you're looking. So you're just a young kid. You yeah. didn't really like know much, right? I mean. No. I had a buddy that played like conditionally on like, I guess back then it was like web.com tour and stuff like that. So like he kind of taught me a couple of things here and there. Uh, but kind of was like, dude, if, if you don't have any money, you might as well just go play for some money for a little bit and see if you can. So super ignorant was like, I'll take whatever I have and enter a few mini tour events. Uh, I played okay in the first one and like top five did or something. And then the next dude, one I remember solid, being like, dude, but your game, like at this time, like that's pretty badass, dude. Yeah. I just want to dive into that top five fucking mini tour event. You're playing against grown ass dudes, dude. Cause you were like 19, right? I mean, that's gotta I be a big, like it, a rude awakening or like, you know, it's gotta be just a different experience going from like the Juco to the mini, mini tours. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think for me, it was very much like golf was always an individual thing. And I always felt weird being on a team, having to rely on someone else. And I always felt strange being blamed for shit that I feel like I was like, dude, I've shot 72. I was fine, you know, or getting blamed for playing bad. Like, don't worry, I'm blaming myself plenty. I don't need this. You know, all golfers are lunatics. We're not good cheerleaders for ourselves. So like, trust me, it's on the inside. We're good. So I was kind of like, fuck this. I want to go play real golf against real professionals even though at this time it was like club pros and mini tour guys and stuff like that. But for me, it was one of those like ignorance is bliss kind of things. Like I had no idea what I was actually going to do with it. I had zero plan. You know, I'm just like, oh, I'll go play in some tournaments, see, see if I can make some money. Didn't even consider that I was even like a pro golfer at that time. Does that make sense? So the next couple of events I played in were like, one was a Pepsi tour event. I wound up winning that back when that was a thing. And I shot two over for three rounds under garbage weather like gar like wait so this is your first year you end up freaking winning a, a mini tour event yeah but it was like nothing to write home about you know for me yeah. in my mind it was like i won a pepsi tour event against like 40 or 50 guys right. and made like two thousand bucks it's like yeah. that goes not very far in the mini tour world for maybe sure. a couple weeks but dude was but it definitely a was builder? like a yeah. huge boost huge boost of confidence yeah i was like okay i can do this i can do this yeah um, kind of continued that for a couple years, but then the golf course that I was a cart kid at wound up just laying off everyone outside. So I didn't have a place to play or practice. So I was like, well, I don't know. My sister was living in Colorado at the time. So I was just kind of a bum. It's like, well, I guess I'll go out there and paint houses for a while. Cause that was the only job I could find and play mini tour events. So I kind of did that out there and did like, there was like Wyoming open, Colorado open, San Juan open, all these like random things dude so how did that your for a while progress though like in that time like how did you get better as a because you weren't even you were just painting houses you weren't like playing yeah, a lot on so the side or, honestly like, i don't feel like i got it was a hard balance i mean it's we'll get to it but it's much like trying to caddy and play it's like you've got to be all in right so it was kind of hard being like i don't have a full place to play so now i'm just like working part-time playing part-time i kind of then learned like oh pro golf is hard like if you don't have somebody backing you and you don't have a place to practice and you don't have all the time and you don't have your resources, like you're kind of fucked unless you're just, you know, super talented, which I'm not. I feel like I'm the guy that like can work really hard to get the most out of my game, like a Kevin Na or something like that, you know? Um, but, you know, for the most part, it was like, 
a learning experience, but I'd say I was like breaking even or like losing money pretty much every year on the mini tours, even though it's like, oh, cool, I'm top 20 and stuff. But out there, that's not like making any money. You kind of have to have a job unless you have sponsors. You kind of have to be like a top guy, right? Like a top. Yeah. Like top one or two guy, right? Yeah. Some of the mini tours are doing a pretty good job now. They're trying to get some more sponsors to where like maybe the top 10 are making a little bit more than their entry and they're making a profit. But when I was playing shit 10 years ago, you could, you could get like eighth place and, and make like 400 bucks or something in a decent event. Yeah. So uh, back then it was like the level of play wasn't as good as it is now, but the money also wasn't there. So it was like, even though I was playing, okay, like I don't really have much to write home about, you know? Yeah. Dude, sorry but for really good so that was, so you won, you won, dude. That's pretty badass. Like you said, great learning experience. I kind of interrupted yeah. you right there. So, so like kind of moving forward after that win and like progressing and kind of going through like the Colorado painting houses. Like, how did it all evolve from there? Um, it was humbling. I think yeah. honestly, uh, something I had to go through because I think winning early gave me a lot of confidence. But um, I don't know if I was like mature enough to handle it. Like I just had really lofty expectations. Like I want an event on the mini tours. I'm going to get my PGA tour card next week. Like get me on the tour. That is not how it works. Like, you know, it's not ever linear. It's like eh, 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 down, up, down. So for me, it was like, Oh, I'm really confident. And then when I didn't play well, I started to become like a puppet to my scores and feeling like, Oh, I shot 76, 74 and missed the cut. Now I'm just like downward spiral and then just start thinking negative. Like for me, I didn't have a whole lot of support in my early twenties. It was just me. So it was like anything that bad that was bad on the golf course just translated over to the the real life. Yeah. Does that dude, make sense? So, I wanted to stop you there and say like but... I acknowledge you there, dude, because that's fucking hard, you know? Like I lived through that, obviously didn't play at the level you did, but like when all you do is golf, golf, golf and you make it your life. Like, it's easy to yeah. do that. It's so hard because you identify as this golfer, right? Like, that's what I do. I play golf. Oh, I played like shit today. Oh, I'm a fucking asshole. But the reality is it's like, dude, yeah. it's a game. Like, And I understand, like, you're pursuing it professionally, but you still have to be able to have that balance, which is so freaking hard to do. Because like you said, golfers are not the best cheerleaders for themselves. Like, it's not the easiest game to play, right? Right. That's exactly it. Like, dude, I'm getting better at it. Uh but I still struggle. Like yesterday I played in a tournament that I really hadn't prepped for. Cause I had a long week last week caddying. And then I showed up, drove like eight hours to this little show and go pro-am and played like garbage, striped it like a tour pro putted like a 20 handicap started to recognize the lofty expectations. Like, why am I not performing? Like I'm supposed to, but was able to kind of be a little bit more mature about it and go, Oh yeah, because you didn't prepare, dude. You didn't put in the stuff. So why are you thinking about it emotionally? Just look at it logically and go, it's fine. You know what you need to do now. You need to go practice and work on your putting. Yeah. How yeah. long did it take Maybe you to get not. to that level though? Of like maturity. Not because there it yet. sounds like <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not there yet. Right. Because dude, you're like the third <laughs> guy I've talked process. to now. You know, I've talked to talked to Marty, talked to a guy uh named Jordan, who is like a mini tour in like the Midwest and yeah. the Southeast. And like, it just sounds like, you know, a lot of it is kind of just like maturing and getting used to 
like just figuring it out, dude. That's why I love to have you on this podcast. Cause it's like, yeah. dude, I'm trying to figure out this freaking podcast. You're trying to figure out like the mini tour grind and like playing professionally. So it's cool to like sync up with you, you know, at this time of your career. Yeah. Uh, you know, likewise, it's like, it's kind of funny. I saw your podcast as well and I'm like, Oh, that's funny. That's exactly what I'm doing. I'm 13 years into this pro career. That's been kind of on and off again and never been full time. And I'm just now to a point where I'm 33 and I'm, feel like I'm figuring it out. I feel like I, I have all the pieces now and now I just got to put it together. You know, it's a weird stage in my career, but yeah, exactly. It's a process, right? You hear the cliches all the time. Cliches are a thing because they work for the most part, or they're true in some way. Right. So I'm really trying to be introspective about what my past tendencies have been on the golf course and recognize like where that's costed me. Instead of looking at it, like just labeling myself, like, dude, you're such a piece of shit golfer. Like why? Like that's not productive. I get why you want to say that to yourself now, but that's not like, can you at least say something more productive? Like, dude, you got to get better at putting. All right. Well, that's not super. Like I'm trying to reframe. It's funny. I keep telling my wife that I want to get a tattoo on my like arm right here. That's just a box, just a tiny square. So I look down at it and always just like, dude, reframe the situation. Your perspective is everything. And when you're in a mini tour event and you're like two over par, it feels like the world is crumbling down. Even though you're like, dude, you're two over par and you have like eight holes left. You could finish it six under par if you get your head out of your ass. But it's all about like, perspective. even right there, I just said, get my head out of my ass. That's probably not the best way to talk right there. It's all about perspective and reframing. So I've done a lot of work over the last couple of years to make sure that if I do this again and I try to do it full time, I'm going to make it worth it. I'm not going to go in it like a lunatic. You know what I mean? Like a person that's just like going to make really emotional, rash decisions on the golf course. Because as a caddy, I've seen that over the years too. I've caddied on tour and I've seen guys like, dude, you're a high level player. What the fuck are you thinking? I can't believe you would make that decision. Not necessarily for some of the guys I've worked for, I've just learned a lot from, but I've seen guys out there that like, how did you even get a tour card with this this decision? Dude, so that's like let's just so. kind of zoom back because just kind of that, that's a big segue going sure, from I went professional. On. Dude, and we Go can ahead. do it. Let's do it. Let's just give them a quick because we didn't really talk about that. So you also are right a caddy right now at Pebble and at Cypress. And tell me if I'm wrong. Yeah. I mean, yeah, stop yeah. me. So is that kind of yeah, what's yeah. going on as well as you're playing professionally, or, or where are we? Where are you at from like that perspective or that point? Yeah. So. uh I caddied for some guys like professionally here and there, but nothing like full time. And then like six, seven years ago, I was playing in the Monterey open, which is at mm-hmm. Del Monte. It's just a sick little golf course. It's like 63, 6,400 yards. And it has teeth, dude. They really? get it fast and firm for this little mini tour event, which is coming up in a couple weeks. Yeah. It's 63, 6,400 yards. So it's not freaking yeah. long. dude. And it eats dude's lunch. Oh yeah. <laughs> I mean, usually you get some good champions like Kevin Velo won last year. Yeah. He's on the corn Ferry tour. Joseph Bramlett's won it before. Uh, Mark Hensby won it a couple years ago in the wind. He's a senior tour guy. Like you get some good champions yeah. for a tiny golf course. But the cut's usually a few over par or maybe a couple under. It's like you a would US think 6,300 yards a bunch of – Yeah. Dude, it's yeah. wild. So uh-huh. uh, anyway, I'm playing in a tournament, and I'm just in this group, and I see this dude who's caddying for another dude, and he just takes off. I was like, I know that guy. I'm going to ask him why he's doing that. I was like, bro, where are you going? He's like, I just got the call from Cyprus. So I'm going to go make some cash caddying over there. And I was like, 
what? He's like, oh, my buddy's not paying me. I'm going to go over there and make some money. I'm like, dude, I'm a broke mini tour pro. What do you mean you're going to go make money caddying for some dude at this golf course 10 miles away? And I figured out he just goes and caddies for, you know, members and tournaments and stuff like that. And so I had read The Match, which was like my favorite book at the time, still kind of is, which uh, uh, kind of details how the professional game was highlighted and turned from like a really popular dominating like amateur sport back in like the 1940s and 50s to where like the Crosby clan bake and all the you know publicity and things like that started to be a thing. And it was about this really cool match between Ben Hogan and Byron Nelson, Harvey Ward and Ken Venturi. Epic match at Cypress Point. Dude, right how badass is right? that? First off, dude, that's fucking, fucking so epic. sick. Right? Like, are Ep- you like, kidding me? You, and there's a crowd, dude, and everyone's just like at Cypress, yeah, right? Like, yeah. What? Yeah. Like, I'm sure the movie wouldn't do it justice, but if they made a movie, I'd watch it 37 times. Like, no doubt. But, so I read this book, and I randomly showed up. My buddy did the same thing, too, and we met, randomly got in. Show up to the Caddy Master one day. Didn't even realize we're not even allowed to just walk up there. No idea how exclusive this place is. Um, asked him, like, hey, were you guys looking for caddies over the match? Blah, 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 blah. Just like, yeah. please, 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 please. <laughs> that's, that's, please. Let uh, me see your resume. I don't have one, but I read yeah. the match, dude. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. Our, I mean, our, sort of. Yeah. And it was yeah, kind of like show up tomorrow morning at seven. Yeah. Uh, and I shadowed. Uh, a guy named Ray and a guy named Andy. Which dude? Time uh, out. That was you so sick is. because, like, you were like, "Oh, I'm a I'm a caddy at Cyprus." I'm like, "Do you know this guy?" It's a picture of Ray, dude. I played Cyprus like two years ago with my buddy who he's a member. Or he's like a membership director or something down in uh, in Monterey. So he knows a bunch yeah. of guys, and he got me out, dude. So I know who that guy is. Keep going. We'll talk about Hooked it. You up as with we go. a fucking legend, dude, Oh my god, no, Ray's the man. Sick. He gave me a calendar at yeah. the end. It's like, holy shit. Are you kidding me? This guy's yeah, amazing. Yeah. He's, he's next level. I mean, he literally lived at Cypress Point for yeah. a while. Like, anyway, yeah, I could yeah. go on about that dude. Legend. Yeah. So I shout out for these we dudes. Can, dude, for, right? Yeah, keep going. Keep going. Uh, yeah, I mean, I just I'm basically follow these two legends just caddying, right? Yeah. Um, and they're just caddying for a couple dudes. I'm like learning the trade. Like, oh, they carry two bags. I had no idea. Cool. Got to carry two bags, do all this stuff, yada, yada, yada. I can do this. Cool. Uh, you know, show up a few days later and make a few hundred bucks for it. And you're like, wait, you mean I can make more money doing this than I have like being an assistant pro or being a cart kid or doing any of this stuff. And I can go try to support myself and play a little bit of pro golf. Cool. So I did that for their tournaments here and there. Um, and then went over to Pebble Beach because I learned like, oh, they have consistent work over there. Cyprus is just members. It's like, you know, 20 rounds a day, maybe. Um, and they have some tournaments here and there that I go help out with. That's about it. But Pebble Beach has three courses. At this point, they've got like 400 something caddies. It's crazy. Um, so I went over there about six years ago and started just kind of looping over there whenever I could. Rode the bench for a couple of years, just tried to climb the seniority. Um, I'm still pretty low in the seniority, but at least I'm getting work. Uh, and kind of just tried to support myself like okay i'll caddy for three months and i'll just grind and i'll work twice a day and i'll sleep in my van i don't give a fuck and then i'll go burn all of it and sign up for mondays and mini tours and all that stuff and like it's the same story every time i throw myself into the fire after caddying for a few months i start off kind of rusty i play kind of shitty much like i did yesterday and then I play in a few events and I just, every single time I play, I get better and better and better and better. 
And then I run out of money. <laughs> I'm like, fuck, I got to go back to caddying. So I've kind of just been doing that for the last few years. In 2019, a buddy of mine named Tom Whitney uh, made it to the Corn Ferry Tour. So I wound up caddying for him for all of 2020 uh, during COVID, which was an awesome experience because like I couldn't actually work at Pebble. There wasn't really much going. So super grateful that I got the call to go out there because I was able to work a little bit. Didn't really make much money at all because it's the Corn Ferry Tour level. You got to be top 25, whatever, to make a living as a caddy out there but gained a wealth of knowledge and not necessarily Tom Whitney. Cause I mean, he's an amazing ball striker and an amazing scorer. I've never seen anyone be able to just put a score together like he can. Right. But I saw a lot of guys out there where I was like, I think better than you. I can hit the ball better than you and straighter than you. And I know I have a better short game than you. And so it started to be like, I'm a golden retriever watching 97 golden retrievers chase tennis balls and i'm right. just standing here dude how hard was that because like you know Fuck. but at the same time i think that's yeah. huge because you're like around that environment that culture and like iron yeah. sharpens iron. i really yeah. think that that's a big part of success is like being around people yeah. who like want the same goal or like fighting for the same thing because you don't necessarily have that at like you know the caddy shack or whatever at pebble and at cypress you know what i mean like these other guys right are freaking sticks but they're also still trying to figure it out i'm sorry if you're on the corn ferry tour they're like that's not grinding. the end goal right and if you're in that environment exactly. dude, and you're like oh i i can hit the ball well like i can hit the ball good or just as good as these guys like that's got to be pretty big for you right as a player overall or what was what is that like uh it's like motivating humbling too because you know you're like well they also put in a lot of work like they're not just that good because they're that good um but like seeing it is like, there's a word for it. Um, like when you see something and you know, it's attainable, um, I'll think of it probably at 2 a.m. the night I'll text you, but just seeing something that's attainable and actually physically, you know, Oh, it's tangible. It's right there. And you see what it takes to actually get there before then it's a fantasy before then. It's like, you just play on the mini tours and you don't really know how to navigate that. You don't really know what the roadmap looks like to get to a big tour to a major tour with like world ranking points until you go like get your foot in the door and like caddy out there or you Monday qualifier or something. And then you kind of see how it is and you pull the curtain behind. Then it's like the fucking matrix, dude. Mm-hmm. Once you see it, you can't unsee it. Mm-hmm. You know, like, so you know, let's get okay, into it, dude. Like it what specifically works. is like, what was so mind blowing to you or like what really opened up your mind? Was your like biggest takeaway? Yeah, no, just all of them. Decade. Man. The biggest de- uh, takeaway was decade. Have you ever heard of decade golf? I saw it on your bio and I clicked the link to see you. The guy's like a lot of fun. I don't know exactly who he is, but he's a coach, right? Like he's a he's a big instructor. Or... Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, um, he basically took poker math and strokes gained stra- and, and turned a strategy, made a strategy out of it. Um, long story short, you take the length of your shot and you take 5% of that let's say it's 180 yards, 5% of that is nine. You can't aim within nine yards of any edge of the green. So if the pin is five yards from the left edge, you're going to go four yards right of it, automatically not seeing any water hazards or anything like that. From there, you're going to get only more conservative based on water hazards, penalty areas, or maybe things that are actually like, this is actually a really easy up and down from short-sided over here. We can actually get a little more aggressive here. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, so Not it's like aim point, but for like course management, essentially. Yeah, kind of like yeah. And yeah. dude, like I learned that that's what they did out there. A lot, like, dude, 
so many of them are doing it out there. And I remember seeing in a caddy's yardage book, all these like weird numbers. And I was like, what is that? And he was being super private about it. And then finally I kind of figured it out. Like, Oh, it's this thing. He just said decade. And I was like, did you sneeze? Yeah. You just yeah. like, what, what are you saying? Decade. Yeah. What does that mean? You know, I had no idea. And then I kind of just started Googling it. And I'm like, Oh, it's a course management system. Right. I get it. It's an app. But is it, so you just from, this app, this app. is it just from like, you know, like your approach shots too, or is it also like off the tee no. driving? So it's like, it's off the tee. You kind of figure out like, for the most part you use, sorry, Scott, if I'm giving away everything for decade, you use like, you know, 70 yard wide shot pattern. Cause that's the average that the PGA tour pro is going to hit their drivers about 70 yards wide. Even the best in the world, they hit it fucking 70 yards wide. For the most part, they hit enough frozen rope, but they can hit it offline. Right. Uh, so you kind of go on a GPS and figure out, do I have 70 yards between penalty areas? Not trees, penalty areas. If I've got 70 yards between penalty areas and it's reasonable, I'm shipping driver. There's no reason not to. So it's basically, when can I be as aggressive as possible off the tee? And then you kind of dial back into conservative mode from there into the greens. Does that make sense? So it doesn't and take then a into lot account, of it like, like say there's a tree on the left side that could like, you know, be overhanging and, and like, you know, screw up your approach. Like it's not necessarily about that because like at the end of the day, if you drive your ball closer to the green, the stats show your score is going to be better regardless of like, I'd say for the most part. Yeah. Right. Kind of. Um, granted you can do things on Google earth now, like scroll down and get a level and you can see things like elevation change and trees and stuff. So you're so telling me you were on freaking just like Google maps, like doing prepping for your course. Like, yeah. kind of, really? Is that kind of what takes place at the high level? Cause dude, I'm just a guy yeah, with a freaking podcast. Like I don't know anything. So that's, what's kind of going on is like all these guys are on Google, Google earth and, and really mapping it out to that extent. For the most part. I mean, not everybody, but I'd say. This is my guess. 60 to 70% of the guys out there now. Stuart Sink is a great example. He hadn't won in a while. And then a couple of years ago, he picked up Decade and then he won like twice at the age of like 49. I thought it was because his kid's on the bag, but it's really just Decade, dude. Really? It's probably the kid mojo too. It's (laughs) got to be that. It goes hand in hand. You know, the other part of it is, you know, he's got all these videos about like the mental game on this Decade app. You got, uh, there's a meditation app that you can download that's, not even related to it, but he suggested it. That's game changing. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's uh, just all kinds of different videos where he kind of just shows things that PGA Tour pros and just goes, watch this guy. Look mm-hmm. at what he does. And you go, oh, mm-hmm. got it. You like got to kind of just narrow it down. Move? Like, is it get, does it get technical? It's more like it... his, their demeanor. Like, for instance, there's a video where he analyzes Tiger and it's it's the amount of time that he takes over the shot. Like, Dude doesn't deviate from like 13 seconds from the time that he, you know, steps in to the time that he strikes the shot. It's the same amount of looks and the same amount of waggles every fucking time. It's 13 seconds every time. So the point is like lean on your routine, have a routine that's incredibly consistent. Those things, which are most, uh, most of the time common sense, but seeing all of this stuff in an app for the first time ever a few years ago was pretty game changing for me. Like, so that was like the it, first it experience, the like the first time you were on mini, like you saw or you heard about decade and that just like freaking blew your mind kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, like I felt like I was able to put less effort into practice rounds and less effort into like walking a course and things like that. When you can just, you can just look at it ahead of time. And then like, I know before I go to a golf course for the most part, when I go play in a practice round, I know that I'm going to aim left edge of that bunker because it's 
you know, 340 to reach it. I'm probably not going to get there or whatever, you know. Um, I already know versus showing up to a golf course and go, where's this hole go? Right. What do I do here? Like, I already have a general idea. So that way I'm like maximizing my efficiency in my right. practice round versus hitting a million putts or hitting a million chip shots. I just know like short-sided over there sucks. Don't hit it over there. Right. You know, I already know that ahead of time, yeah. which... So it sounds you like know, everyone can money. benefit because it's not just for pros, right? Like decade could be, dude. Yeah, you like could. Anyone could. I'd buy say decade. if you can, if you can shoot ninety five or better, something like that, you can benefit from it. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, his biggest thing is like the difference between something like somebody that shoots ninety and seventy nine is like one point four or one point five birdies. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? So yeah, I if you're saw a 90 that. shooter and yeah. you're trying to shoot seventy, yeah. So that's it's like Lou Stagner, Scott Fawcett. Those dudes are the guys that I lean on for this kind of information, which is kind of liberating. Like, right. you know, or like the stat, like, you know, PGA Tour pros, they make 50% of their putts roughly from eight feet. I think about that when I have an eight footer and it's not like you're probably going to miss it. It's more like, dude, if I've had five eight footers and I missed one of them, well, fuck, I'm putting to a PGA Tour average. That's pretty good. I don't have to right. beat myself because like, oh, I missed that eight footer. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, so it kind of makes the things... game more digestible because a lot of the times yeah. you're just out there and you're like living in the moment. And it, dude, mm-hmm. golf to me is like life. Like I've been golfing my entire life. Like I absolutely love this game, right? So, but again, it's easy to beat yourself up. But at the same time, it's just like, this is how you kind of play the game from a like tactical statistic perspective yeah. right is really what that was for you and like how it just sounds like it was really impactful right yeah well for me i was always and still am a pretty emotional dude like i would yeah. be the one on the golf course where it's like you know what i am shooting you know if i'm playing good or you know if i'm playing bad you right. can tell by my body language whereas now all of these tools that i use they kind of just take the emotion out of it and now right. i'm trying to just be the guy that I just have my eyes on the horizon the yeah. whole time. I don't deviate from the process. I don't care if I'm six over or six under. It doesn't change my strategy. I don't care if I'm two down to whatever, dude. I'm still going to do the same targets and I'm still going to hit the same shots, accepting that I'm going to have some negative or positive variance, which is good or bad luck. Yeah. Right. I love that. The whole process That's, thing, because it takes like yeah. more, less pressure off. Because like you're just going to always abide by the process. You always have the game plan, right? Yeah, yeah, you got something to lean on, right? Yeah. And like, you always hear guys say like, oh, I've got a game plan for today. And it's like, what the fuck does that even mean? What? Right. You know, like, I actually have, I feel like I used to have a game plan where I'd be like, oh, I'm going to hit driver on this hole and I'm just going to, I guess, figure it out from there. I don't yeah. really, you know. I really Dude, have what a plan. about and the whole like, Mike oh, Tyson like thing about like, or you have a plan until you get hit in the face. Like, what if you, right. okay, yeah, stats say bang driver if there's 70 yards between hazard to hazard, hazard yeah. but you're, dude, you're hitting a massive whatever duck harker massive push slice that day for whatever reason like how do you integrate that into this yeah so you got that's the good question you've got to be able to shift and adapt like you got like i'm a draw player but i know there's going to be some days where i don't know why the fuck i'm fading the ball but i'm fading it and i've got to just shift all my targets left and kind of trust it and almost just play the fade dude yeah you know so like what you're saying is totally valid. Or if you got a 40 mile an hour crosswind and you didn't realize you were going to have that going into the tournament round. And this is a week ago, you were looking at the golf course. Yeah. That's probably going to shift your targets a lot, but that's kind of just like, I at least had this information to begin with. 
-hmm. Now I can at least use it to my advantage, even though it's totally different conditions, if that makes sense. Yeah. You know, you're always going to have it as some kind of a tool. For sure. Uh, Dude, so kind of going back to the story, because we, because shout out to Decade, it sounds like that was super influential. Obviously, you had a big plug for them on your uh, IG bio. So kind of like, okay, you heard Learn Decade. You said that was like getting out of the Matrix or seeing the Matrix or whatever. Take me to that next step. All right. Like, what's after that as you're caddying for this guy on uh, the Corn Ferry Tour? realizing like dude i could yeah. do this yeah um i think a lot of it was just like i never really thought i was that good of a ball striker mm-hmm. really i always thought i was a really good putter and had a great wedge game but i always figured like well that's why i'll never make it if i don't but then like i realized like dude i think that's my perception of myself like mm-hmm. i i hadn't really played around enough like great ball strikers to be like oh i'm actually okay like i'm not as bad as i think i am you know, because mm-hmm. I saw a lot of these guys hit shots where, like, wow, that was a garbage shot, but yeah. they still made a score out of it. Right. And that was always like, oh, you don't have to be perfect. That mm-hmm. was the big, oh, God. So growing it. up, can... dude, how did you get to be like that? Because, dude, I grew up on the range. Like, I was just a range rat, just hitting balls, hitting balls, hitting balls. That's what it was. Like, playing was. Yeah. I don't know. Like I definitely like played, but I would say my, or my experience was mostly just like falling in love with just getting into flow state on the range really. And, um, like, is that kind of what led to your perception or how, how did you get to that perception of, Oh, I'm a good, or I'm a bad ball striker, like kind of reflecting on your career up to that point. Um, that's a good question. So I feel like the resources that I had as a kid, I had like a field that had, was like maybe I had like a hundred yards that I could work with. So I just hit wedges over and over and over and over like mm-hmm. the whole cliche thing till your hands bleed. Yeah, that was me. I was a psycho as a kid and just literally hit wedges and wedges and wedges and wedges. But like, I just never really hit anything else. So when I would go play in a high school tournament or a junior tournament, which was few and far between, I honestly felt like I didn't hit the ball very well. And I'd go shoot somewhere on par where, the kids around me just seem like they were hitting it better and more solid. Right. But then like, but then again, it's like, what does that even freaking mean, dude? Cause at the end of the day, it's it's like, dude, all right, they compressed the ball on like this one four iron shot, but it's like, dude, that doesn't even fucking matter. Cause it's score at the end of the day. Right. So for some reason that like, so I was really little, I mean, I'm not a big guy. I'm like 160 pounds right now. Uh, but when I was in high school, dude, I was like one fifteen, one twenty. Like I was a twig. I was tiny. Mm -hmm. And, I always just saw these big dudes and like the power they generated and the compression. And I was like, Oh, pfft, that's golf. I mean, yeah, that's right. totally golf. And I'm meanwhile, like making birdies and they're like, no, oh, nice dude. I'm like making him puke with my 30 footers. And I'm like, Oh, that's garbage though. That's not like, that's not golf. Right. And then I, it took me to be like in my late twenties, early thirties to be like, Oh wait, tour guys don't hit it perfectly. And they also kind of scrap it around on their off days and they just make a score happen. Oh, got it. They're not perfect either. For some reason, right. I always was like, like, oh, well, they all hit it on a first row. Something, dude, or like just probably, kinda... dude. I mean, I idolized that dude when I was a kid. It's probably I mean, a lot of dudes that grew up in like too, the 90s though. did. But the nature yeah. of like watching golf is just like, all right, we're going to cut to this birdie. We're going to cut to this 350 drive. We're going to cut to this guy sticking a shot. And it's like you don't really see a bad yeah. shot. Occasionally you do. And you go on YouTube and you like look up. You know, the reels are you see it on social media like Zyre Golf. You see a pro miss like a two footer. But for the most part, I feel like people are ingrained. And and maybe that kind of goes back to decade. This could be like a nice segue. Watch me segue the two. Like people don't necessarily understand the numbers 
because they're exposed to like only good on TV, only good on social right. media. And it's like this massive dopamine hit. Oh, this dude, Rory drives yeah. at 330. Dude, watch this Bryson drive, dude. Watch Bryson drive a green at the US Open with a persimmon. Right. It's like 340. Right. He flies it there. Watch Bryson shoot 58 with his fucking crank driver, dude. His average is whatever. We're just like exposed to only good. But you don't see there's like 80 to 100 other guys that week that don't hit it great and they can like put up a decent score. You know what I'm trying to say? Like, does that make sense? Exactly. You put it better than I was basically. You're basically quantifying it right now. Like all I saw was on TV, just like you're saying. I, and that's all I see at home now. And like, it's crazy to think about because like I've said, I've seen the matrix now I've seen all those shitty shots. Like, Oh, cameras aren't on this dude. As soon as he has one bad squib cameras are gone. They're, you're not going to see that guy at all. You know what I mean? So you just don't – you don't ever see those things. Even though for the most part they're putting together good scores, you're mm-hmm. only seeing the best of the best of the best right. of that day. So, yeah, I guess that's a lot of it. it. was like when I grew up, I didn't have a coach. I didn't have a teacher. I am a very visual learner. I nerded out and watched golf swings. I just tried to swing like Tiger and swing like Sergio and swing like – I'd go out for a week and be like, I'm going to try to swing like Sergio. Yeah. Go out for a week, like, I'm going to try something like Freddy, you know? I was definitely like, what's – and shit, I feel like I'm still trying to find my swing, you know? Yeah. We all kind of try to do that. Yeah. But, yeah, I grew up watching TV and just being like, well, these guys are dialed 100% of the time, all the time. So right. you have to be. That's not necessarily the case. But, dude, that's a cool – that's no, cool. Because, like, what percentage not. of people get to actually see that? I mean, other than, like, caddies, because, you know, you might go to the PGA Tour event or the event because it's in your town that week. But you were, you were getting to travel yeah. and see these guys on a weekly basis and see them like maybe have yeah. one shit week to the next week, like grind it mm-hmm. out, figure something out. Or you know what I'm trying to say? Like you were able to see it consistently yeah. over a period of time, not just like that one point in time. Yeah, it changes your perspective. And like I still go out there from time to time and I'll caddy. Like I caddied on the PGA Tour this year for Lucas Nemitz, who just finished top five last week in the DP World Tour. I worked for him in the Barracuda at Tahoe. Mm-hmm. Learned a ton. All kinds of different things from this particular guy in that particular week. Learned a ton. Feel like I got paid to learn. Amazing. Mm-hmm. This last week, I just worked on the Champions Tour for John Sendon. Dude, John like, Sendon's such a greatest stick, fucking, dude. His ball, his ball strikers like ball always strikers crazy, in the world. Dude. Yeah, talk to me about John, dude. What's going yeah. on with John? Dude, first off, people were asking me, like, is he a nice guy? Like, I get why, because, like, you can see on TV, like, yeah, just he's looks a like serious-looking like dude Robo-Cop. with the wraparound shades yeah. and kind of looks like RoboCop, right? Yeah. Uh, might be one of the – he's definitely one of my favorite people now and might be one of the kindest dudes I've ever worked for. Like, right. not just pros, like, he's gone through so much. Like, his kid had a brain tumor, like, six years ago, yeah. went through all that. That's why he didn't get to play for a couple of years. People were like, oh, what happened to him? Dude, he prioritized his child. That's right. what he did. He – put away his PGA tour career for a while and did that, did the yeah. unselfish thing. I have no idea. And yeah, no, no yeah. nobody knows that. And now his, his kid's good. Now he's, he's 19. Now he's doing all right. Jacob's his name. He talked a lot about him, which was cool. Uh, he plays for an organization called play yellow. Um, it's like Jack Nicholas's foundation on children's health. Mm-hmm. So learned a ton about that. Um, so I feel like if you're, if you're playing for something like that, like you're probably a cool dude. As far as like people to work for, like I've worked for a lot of pros and like, you don't want to ask too much and you don't want to like, cause like I selfishly want to learn. I want to get the trade secrets. I want to know like, 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm out there for you, sir. I'm out there on your back, but I'm also out here for me. That's not just a paycheck. Like, I, I want to learn. I want to know how, how'd you get here? Never worked for anybody that would just give me all the stuff. Like, he was just telling me, it's just like, here's what you do. This is what you have to do. This is key. And he would tell me if he had a bad day, like, this is what I struggled with. Like, he had a bad ball striking and putting day in the final round. And he told me, he was like, I needed, you know, I didn't let it go through the swing, meaning he felt like he was swinging, trapping the ball, and that was it versus get through the ball, literally let it go. He did it with his irons, his driver, and his putter, mostly his putter all day. And he told me that after the round, and he was like, that's not technical. That's up here. That's mental. And we all have to work on that. He's like, I've been doing this for 30 years, and I'm still trying to implement these things. And he said the biggest thing for him is perseverance and persistence. Like those two P words got him through so much. Like you have to be willing to go through the shit to get to a major tour. And that's, I mean, those were the biggest takeaways I got from him. Um, then you just have to get on a major tour if you ever want to make a living. Mini tours ain't going to do it. You know? Dude. So um, can we dive into like, before we get into your career, like professionally, like the whole caddy, it just fascinates me, dude. You know, because you yeah. think about like Stevie Williams, you think about like Bones, you Legend. think about like these legends, right? So there's that. Dude, but then Fluff was there this week. Fluff was, was just walking around. I'm just like, he's just walking around. I'm literally just walking. I'm sounds crazy. I'm just eating my fucking yogurt parfait, yeah. watching him smoke a cig, getting ready to go have his morning glory. And I'm like, what a legend. Yeah. Was he that on the bag or it. he was just like hanging out? Yeah, he was working for Scott Verplank that week. Okay. Yeah. 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 Dude, Legend. so like, but what's it like, dude? How, I mean, how do you, you just meet a guy and the guy's like, hey, you know, I have another guy, you know, Taylor's looking yep. for a gig kind of thing. Or can you like, because just here's yep. the thing, right? Dude, you've been in the industry for a long time. You've been, you know, uh, a caddy. You've been a PGA associate. You've done a lot, dude. So there's also a lot of new people that are coming into the game who have no idea what it's like. And maybe they play Tiger Woods or maybe they follow freaking Zyre Golf on, on Instagram, but sure. they don't know like the raw shit, dude, of actually like getting that call. I don't know when you would get it. Hey, hey, we, John Senda needs a freaking caddy. So can you like break it down for that yeah. guy and try to frame it to that guy so he gets an idea? Because dude, freaking Bob the Sports isn't talking about this stuff. Like that's this podcast. It's all about the raw stuff, baby. So can you tell him sure. like, talk to that guy tell him like your true life like what you have to go through what what that whole situation is like dude because i i don't know and like dude i've been around golf my entire life yeah yeah honestly first and foremost i feel like i had to go through the suck of mini tour golf to get any kind of respect from anybody like a lot of these guys want to know that you've gone through it too and they can trust you you know so i feel like i kind of put in my time in late teens early 20s doing that to late 20s uh and would tell some guys here and there, like, bro, if you ever make it and you want a guy, you know, I'm down to go out there for a little bit. Right. Uh, Tom Whitney was my first, like, full-time bag. Um, I remember sending him a DM, like, I don't know, sometime early in his PGA Tour Latin season of, like, 2019. And I was like, bro, it's awesome. Because I'd played some golf with him, against him a little bit in Colorado. Mm -hmm. He was an Air Force grad, so he was in Colorado. Um that's some great players out there. Anyway, uh, he sent me a DM like halfway through the year of his PJ Tour Latin season. Like, yeah, I'm playing pretty good. Like, might take a guy next year for Corn Ferry Tour. I'll let you know. And I was like, oh, cool, sick. Uh, 
few months go by, I'm just kind of falling. So, as far like, as... what's that agreement though? Is it a contract? Do you say, hey, like, travel with me, yeah. I'll cover your expenses, and I'll give you five percent of my winnings, or, or like, can you even break it down further? Yeah. Like, what is in that contract? So what does that contract say? There's so many different levels, and there's so many different deals, and they're so individual. Right. Uh, this first one was funny because, like, I even threw it out there, going like, "Hey, yeah, I'll go with you." What the fuck does that mean? Like, I, yeah. I didn't even know what I was like trying to. Like, I'm applying for this job. What is the job I'm applying for exactly? Right. Um, you know. Yeah. Uh, and he was like, "Yeah," and I'm like, "Oh, okay, this might be a thing." But then he finished second on the order of merit for Latin America in 19, uh, and then went to Q school and almost won the thing. Uh, Braden Thornberry, I think got him by a shot on the last hole. Um, and then I got a text from him like a week later, like, Hey, you still interested? And I was like, yeah, you know? And then he sends me this long fucking text. Then it was like, so here's how it's going to work. You'll start at, I mean, I'll just give you the numbers cause I don't fucking care. Uh, I would start at $800 a week base pay, which is like, uh, very bare bones minimum for corn ferry tour back then it was uh, there's probably more money out there now because there's just more purse there's more right. prize money so they can afford to pay their guys more hmm. but dude he had four kids like he couldn't afford to pay me a ton and it's right. like you got to look at those things like a startup like a business for sure. like you're going to the corn ferry tour or a developmental tour as a caddy you're not going to make a living but the idea is that if you go with a guy and you're loyal to him and you're good and you're an okay caddy and you suck, maybe he'll take you to the big show. That's the goal. There's mm-hmm. no guarantees. It could be over in one fucking golf swing because you gave him a bad number. I'm not saying Tom's like that, but I've heard of guys fuck up a number two or just like not get along with their caddy for a little bit and they're gone. So like, mm-hmm. there's no, as far as I had, and a lot of people have, there's no contract at the corn Ferry tour level. Um, so I got 800, base pay for a week and everyone's like oh everyone always assumed like oh so you go out there and travel with him and he just covers your costs and you just stay with him you know he's flying jets and i was like no right you're you work for yourself like you have to get yourself there Mm -hmm. just like he does he doesn't have somebody booking his stuff he's got to do it he's his own travel agent so you got to be so you got to book a flight you got to book a hotel if you have friends you're going to go definitely room with them or split an Airbnb. You got to get a rental car or split a rental car. You got to eat. You got to buy yardage books every week, which costs 50 to a hundred dollars. Mm-hmm. So that adds up. There's a lot of costs that go into it. Right. The base pay barely covers that week. If it does at all, like, right. so that's just, if you don't make a cut, that's what you're going to make. It might cover your costs maybe. Right. And I had a baby in like 2018. So, you know, I had a two year old at the time. I'm like, well, this is going to be tough. Hmm. And for my split, granted, this has changed for me over the time, but as a rookie caddy, right. I got 5% for a cut made. I got 7% for a top 10, and I got 10% for the win. Mm-hmm. That was my split, which at the PGA Tour level is pretty darn good. Yeah. At the Corn Ferry Tour level, 5% is not very much. Like, right. Because the purse size but, like is I said, smaller, right? So, yeah. Yeah. But like I said, back then, the money was smaller. He had a family. And I was like, I get it. I'm down. Mm-hmm. And we got along great. Like, uh, you know, we were a good team together. And so mm-hmm. I was like, I'm down. I don't give a shit. So you're not like staying in the same room as this guy? Like, uh, 
Sometimes he would have, people, if he had a host family, some people might think like I would that. stay with him. Like, okay, I, this, yeah, is yeah. Good, this guy on this guy's back, we're like buddy buddy for the entire week or whatever. But that's not necessarily the case. It's like very business orientated. Like, you are mm-hmm. my employee kind of thing. Like, that's kind of the vibe. Or it really depends on the relationship. It sounds like too. Yeah, a lot of it's like totally depends. Really dependent. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Not to give you a cop out. It did. It does depend. For us, it was a good balance of like we were homies we were brothers uh and he went through a lot that year like his brother had taken his own life earlier in the year i was flying out to the bahamas for the first event and he called me saying his brother was dead and i was like oh got it okay so like it was a lot of bonding that year so like we spent a lot of time together and if there was host housing i'd stay with him or something like that um stayed at ryan french's house for the chicago event that was cool ryan's a really cool dude um He's the Monday Q info guy. If you don't know who he is, um, uh, for the most part, though, and this isn't saying anything about Tom. This is anybody you work for, or if I had a caddy, like you're with that person for six hours and it's quiet and it's just you. You pretty much talk about everything you could talk about in that six hours. So when you're done with a round, like it's kind of nice to just decompress. And I think players and caddies feel the same way, you know. For the most part, players and caddies will go fishing and they'll go do stuff together for sure. Decompress but meaning like go away from each other, like and not spend time with each other. Kind or? of, like yeah. not to say it's like, it's like I a, don't want to see like you a anymore. Marriage, but it's dude, like, it's kind of, it's kind of, it's dude. Like what it's like, dude, it's like, all right, I got to go away from this yeah. person now. Yeah, kind of, yeah. Essentially, that's a lot of what it is. So, um, yeah, and, and incrementally, you know, as I proved myself as a caddy, um, I got more pay. Like he would pay me better and better, and. That was awesome. I wound up getting off of his bag because I was like, like I said earlier in the podcast, I, I want to go play again. I'm tired of being a dog watching other dogs chase a ball. I want to go chase my own golf ball. Uh, and I want to chase my own damn divots. I want to, you know, I'm ready to go do it. Uh, and if I was going to stay on anybody's bag, it would have been his for sure. I mean, he's going to graduate this year. I think he's like 15th or 16th or something on the money list. He'll get his PGA tour card. And I'm nothing but happy for the dude because he deserves every bit of it, you know. Um, so a lot of people keep coming up to me like, don't you wish you were on his bag? And I'm like, I mean, the financial gain would be cool, but you're all you people think about is the financial. Like, yeah, that would be cool to get become like, but that's not my goal. My goal is to play my own golf on a on a major tour to make my own money. Yeah. So that's dude, what I'm doing. Who are now. those people, dude? Who you know? says that? Because they know your goal. You're like, that's what's so cool about this. Is like, dude, you have yeah. a vision, right? You have to fucking purpose over pleasure, right? Sure. You have to do the hard thing. Sure. And it's hard, man. Right? It's freaking yeah. hard. Well, you're. I'm around a lot of caddies. I'm around a lot of you know, not scratch golfers. Just around a lot of golfers, and they all have very similar outtake. It takes a rare breed to want to do what I want to do and to understand what I want to do. You know? Um, yeah. So what'd you learn from this guy? I mean, was he kind of the decade guy or like, like, I don't know. It's no, actually he was, he's, I don't even think he does decade. He's, I don't know. He's a military dude. His brain works differently. I don't think he needs decade. Emotional fucks like me need decade. <laughs> Guys who are lunatics on the golf course who don't have, know how to make rational decisions or didn't need decade. Uh, he didn't, he doesn't need that stuff. He's good. But I learned it from other caddies and other players that I stayed with. Uh, and what was like, aim point, oh, man? what's in your yard book? Like, were you doing a lot of uh, that? Or? I never did it. I think it's a pretty, I I know how to use it. I don't really use it because I'm more of a like, I like to paint the picture and I kind of like to look at it and I just focus on speed Yeah, pretty much. Um, 
Yeah, I don't even like line my ball up. I use a dot. And I just look at a dot. I don't even. Right. Well, dude, the whole even thing on a three footer or a twenty footer, yeah. Like, moving your eyes on this axe, it's like I, I learned that from another podcast. It's like it's like impossible yeah. to aim a freaking golf ball. You know what I mean? Yeah, kind of, and that's why I try not to be too precise with it. That's yeah. why I'm like, I, it, the concept of aim point makes a ton of sense. It doesn't really work for me, but that doesn't. That's not to say it doesn't work. I think it's a great concept, but for me, it's more like once I get on the green, that's when the magic happens, and you just play, just play golf. You know. Right. So, dude, what do these um, guys expect from you, like when you're on the bag for him? Because you okay, and I guess it would probably change. And again, I'm still figuring it out. Like, so if you're like on a guy's bag for an extended amount of time, like. He obviously trusts you with yardages and reads, but like, say you're just getting like a John Sennon who might be like one off here, one off there before you go like full time with him. I mean, did yeah? How, how does that kind of work in your mind, or what's that like with the guys that you kind of work for, just like week by week? Yeah, did like did John bring you in yeah. and ask for reads and like, or was it more of more uh, like what, what what was that like? You know, mechanically, yeah, how so, did that relationship work out? I'd say. Lucas is more, I've worked for a few different guys, but like the, my last couple were like Lucas and John, right? So Lucas was more like, um, I knew the golf course a little bit, which is all in Greenwood and, and Truckee. So it was more like just kind of local, like, yeah, this is kind of a better spot over here. He was pretty self-sufficient, but he was, Lucas was off of meters and we're doing uh, elevation. So it was like a ton of math. So I was just an extra calculator for him was for the most part why I was there. Uh, and and to be like, uh, you know, I I'm just your second set of eyes, sort of thing. Um, I didn't really read much for him at all. I just, I think maybe a couple times that week, he just kind of was like, "You see pretty straight here," and I'd be like, "Yeah, pretty much." That was it. For John, it was more like um, I gave him a ton of lines off the tees, uh, and it was just interesting because he's played the AT&T for the last 20 years uh gave him lots of lines off the tees I don't know how much of him was just like agreeing with me to make me feel good but I feel like I gave him some lines that he hadn't really seen before and pictured before um and then uh I tried so to help he, him as much as I could on the green. is he just feeling you out you guys are like feeling each other out like whether it's a five uh, like you're like all right here's the line and then the next hole you're like all right he seemed receptive that here's another line here's another line or like you kind of have to be it sounds like you have, kind of have to be able to like read their mind and just be like a great people person to be successful as a cat. Yeah. Like you almost have to be reading a therapist yeah. like kind of thing, right? Yeah. It You have to, not to use my, but you got to tailor yourself to the player. Basically you have right. to, uh, uh, some guys like less, some guys like more John, I think liked less. So I would always have a read ready. Like mm-hmm. I know this is left edge. Uh, and if he looked at me and goes like, breaks just a little right and i'd be like yeah just a little you know like i don't want to like say exactly it just i don't want to like yeah (laughs) yeah just a little you know just a touch just a smidge just a titch you know whatever i'll just use you know random adjectives i don't know uh and for the most part i didn't want to overcomplicate it you know if he's seeing something i'm just like and i'm not a yes man because if i see something different i'll be like yeah it's we're looking at a little less than that or a little more you know uh I, I honestly have to say, which for my home course was pretty good. I think I only botched like one read. I said like left edge and he tried to come up to me and be like, ah, I pulled it, mate. And I'm like, bro, you know, that, that went left. I watched it. That was a shitty read. I'm sorry. That was on me. But he was really cool. He was just like eh, moving forward then. Like, it's all good. You know, he didn't. 
yeah, he didn't want to wear it at all. It's all good. Moving forward was like, that's what I learned from him was like, even if he fucked up was like, you know, I think at one point, maybe he flipped off the cup like or he wanted to. I don't think he flipped it off. He just like kind of had his fist like he wanted to, <laughs> uh, but he didn't actually do it. But he would always be like, okay, then like immediately just, okay. What are we? And like, I would just start with the wind. That was always what he wanted from me. Like, I wouldn't even say like, we, we never talked on the past. It would, it, you would never go to the next tee and you would never be like, man, I thought that putt would break more, you know? Like you wouldn't even acknowledge it. I would just show up, put the bag down and go, it's a little bit down and off your left. And you go, perfect, beautiful. And every time, as soon as he was done with my information, he would let me know by going, thank you. And then I would walk away. Like it was pretty clear that way. Whereas some other guys you're like, am I done here? Does he need anything else from me? Should I say anything? Should I not say anything? Uh-oh. Did you, you know, ever have any first like what awkward moments like starting off that career, like from a professional standpoint? Oh fuck yeah, I'm yeah. sure I did. Dude, I'm talking blocked like him out of my brain. Lose of it, or can we? Or... Um, blocked him out. I get it. You know, I blocked out a lot of shit. God, what have I done? I mean, I've never done anything like too bad. I want to say at one point, uh, I put my bib on backwards because I was like nervous. And I noticed it like right before the first tee. And I was like, well, that would have made me look like an asshole. Uh, but you know, little things like that. Or, uh, I mean, I've definitely like, although my player did it too on the same hole. But one time I gave a player a number and I was like, yeah, bro, it's 197 front. It's 207 flag, blah, 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 blah. Boom, ships it over the green. Looks at me like I'm a three-headed dog. I'm like, ah. I'm looking down at this. I'm looking at the sprinkler head. Oh fuck! That's one seventy-seven front, one ninety-seven flag. Right, but that's like a rite what? of passage, right? Just like a wrong. I oh mean, god, yeah, freaking perfect, right? Yeah, but those are like always the cold, awkward moments that are like, when is this going to be over? When are we cool again? Is this not? Yeah. I need something good to go his way, so the heat's off of me. I'm like, okay, fuck. Like yeah. you're definitely wearing that at times as a caddy, and you're like, oh god, there's nothing I can do. I'm a little bit helpless. <laughs> yeah, dude, that's crazy, man. So like John Sennon, let's just quickly dive in it. Like ball striking wise, I mean, was it still as pure as it was back in the day? I mean, I just remember watching John so, back on TV, you know, and he was just yeah. like a, a robot, right? Yes. First but he of also all, has a nasty wild. short game, dude. Like that shot he hit to the to uh, what would you have out there? Like your wallet or like a oh my little yardage book cover? Dude, that was yeah. Disgusting. Did you see that? Disgusting. That was just those sick. greens were super firm. He yeah. short sided. He just went and hit. He's just like, oh, I'm just gonna throw some balls over here. First shot he hit of the first little nipper. I mean, stops on a dime and trickles out perfectly. And he did that all day. Like when I watched him at the practice green that day, he hit like 12 wedges from about 30 to 40 yards to three different flags at the Pebble practice green. I think his worst one was like six feet. I mean. He was just throwing it. And that was like, oh God, his wedge game is dialed. His ball striking is still really good. His putting has gotten not so good. Um, I shouldn't say that. You know, I mean, I only saw him for a few days. I just noticed that he had a hard time with it because um, I honestly think he's at like early uh, stages of Parkinson's. So like his right hand is very, very shaky. Um, you could tell like we'd be in the shuttle and he'd look down at his hand and be shaking and then it'd stop shaking for a minute. And then start shaking again, so he... No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I mean, yeah, no, I mean for sure. I mean, the dude's like yeah. pretty damn sharp with all of this considered. Like the fact right. that he could keep the putter square or like get something to stop for a second and then mm. stripe show it. Like 
I would tell him during practice rounds, like, hit it at that tree, palm tree, just past 13's green at Pebble. And it would, like, come down immediately on the tree. Like, right. he did it time after time after time after time, where you're like, all right, that is different. Like, right. that is top five ball striker of all time. Can't really compare myself to that. Yeah, yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. Uh, so that was, yeah, cool to watch, for sure. Especially if somebody's like, dude, I watched that dude on TV. And now I'm just like, I'm on his bag. What's the vibe of like a senior tour event versus a um, corn fairy tour event? Because, dude, the senior tour, I hilarious. looked it up. I looked it up, dude. And there's like, dude, VJ sings there. All these guys are there, dude. Yeah. Freaking. The legends. Um, Boo. Yeah. Boo was there, dude. Freddy. A lot of, of guys. Yeah. Freddie was there, dude. All these freaking. Stricker, Stricker is basically the tiger of that tour. His win percentage is like the same on that tour as Tigers was on the big tour. Is it really? <laughs> it's like 20%. Oh, it's absurd. Yeah, yeah, so like, what's that vibe? I mean, like, he's won like are... under four million dollars this year. Oh yeah, that's holy shit. And it's like three hundred grand for a win. I'm like, how many times you won this year, Stricker? Jesus. But the guys are like really laid back for the most part. They've all been there, done that, and they're all like buddies for the most part. Or it's even funnier when they're not. Like, you know, you're watching them stink eye each other on the range. You're like, yeah, I fucking hate that guy. I'm like, nice. I'm just gonna eat popcorn here while you interact with them. You know, or like watching like. I don't even know who it was, but somebody's going over there. Uh, Tim Heron was going over trying to give uh, Jesper Parnovic a lesson on the range. And I was just sitting there watching, and we're, like, looking at Tim as he's walking by. And, like, did you fix him? And he's just shaking his head, like, no. Yeah. Just Dude, really, Rocco's like, two there. Two of the pros. Yeah. Bro, two of the pros, I'm not going to say who, were apparently, like, having a little bit of roughhousing fun. One of them had a black eye the next day on the range. Like, shit you not amazing stuff like this is just normal life for them it's like these guys have all known each other for 30 years and they've played golf so they just know like oh, i can give that guy shit i can give that guy shit plus they're at pebble so pretty too. Watch they're caddy. just like hanging out in the lodge oh. like drinking negronis after their freaking round dude like what's going on there i don't even know what was going on in there but i want to know to be yeah. a fly on the wall oh my god for sure yeah with all, all right. those legends well dude transferring out of that into like you know the whole professional career right like can we get into that and like your story more so specifically is like you pursue golf now because you had mentioned kind of like dipping your toes in and out you know you're caddying for a long time saving up a bunch of money and then using it to play but then it, you're having to go back to caddy so can we kind of dive back into into your story um, yeah. from like not necessarily the caddy perspective but more of the player side sure yeah so i mean Going back from, you know, just caddying, playing, caddying, playing, going back there. I'm to a point where, like, there's a guy named Tom Johnson. He just actually played in the Fortinet a couple weeks ago. He's a club pro out of San Francisco at the Olympic Club. He played golf at Northwestern with, like, Luke Donald. He's played on the PGA Tour before. An awesome dude. He's always said this phrase that resonated with me, and golf is something where you're either all in or you're not. And now it's like I'm getting to the point where I'm like, the half in, half out isn't working. I need to make a change and I have to do something drastic if I'm ever going to get to a different level. So now I'm getting to a point where I'm like, I'm going to do everything I can to finish out this season in caddy and then I'm going to be all in next year. Like everything I possibly can. So drastic to where like, dude, I have, she'll be five in a few weeks. I have a daughter and my wife. We have an amazing relationship we've pretty much moved them into my wife's aunt's backyard in a trailer so we can live without rent for a little bit and lower our cost of living so I can try to pursue this. Like we're pretty much willing to do whatever it takes. Like I sleep in my van 
when I go to Pebble five hours away from their family, I'll go down there for like six weeks at a time and caddy and save up money so I can do this. So that's the stage I'm at now. I'm like trickling in some tournaments here and there to try to get some reps in. It's hard because I know I'm not there yet. So I'm like going to go play this Monterey Open with the mindset of I'm going to try to win. I'm going to do everything I can to win it. Uh, but I have no idea how I'm going to perform. Uh, I'm doing everything I can to practice and play with the time that I have. But I know that I have to caddy to make sure that we've got what we need next year at home. So I'm not in a mini tour event going, oh, fuck, I need to make this. Otherwise, we're not paying rent or we're not paying the electricity bill because I've been there before. And it is impossible to play with that. It's improbable, I should say. It's really hard. And so I want to get to the point where I can take care of everything I need to off the course. So on the course, I can finally focus on the game. Um, and that's actually where I got linked up with the guys from Drive for the Dream. So like you got, you interviewed Marty Sanchez. So um, I signed a deal with them. So for the next three years, um, they're going to be helping su support me while I try to go chase this thing. Like dude, I, I just want to say real anyway. quick, dude, you're going to be a great like candidate for that. You know, like you're super personal guy, super likable guy. And you're like really open and like willing to just talk about it. And dude, I'm excited to see. And I'm obviously bullish on the project because I've had on Marty. Marty's going to come too. on again, dude. I love Marty. And love uh, Hunter, Hunter's a great guy too, dude. Hunter is a really cool guy. I love listening to him. I think yeah. he's a super smart guy too. So dude, I'm just excited to see all of that, you know, come to fruition. Likewise. Um, Hunter's been super supportive. Like, you know, um, had a couple of really good conversations with, with him about some deals that I've been offered in the past from guys to help support me. But like they didn't really look very good on my end. So I don't think I could take them. And then he stepped in with a better offer and it was like, well, yeah. And hopefully I get cast for their show. I think that would be awesome. I think my story is entertaining. Uh, it, it could be for the right person, you know? Um, I think what they're doing is really cool. Selfishly, I'd love to get cast, but at the same time, I'm like the fact that they're doing this, and supporting some mini tour guys to try to get that out there to tell their story so they can have some resources to get onto a big tour is a cool initiative. You know, like you had Hunter on here and talk about the podcast with, you know, or you guys talk about uh, full swing, which, you know, kudos for them for doing it. But like the only episodes I could even come close to resonating with was like Sahit Degala and Joel Damon. Like those were my only, and Tony Finals was cool too, you know? Because of like, family with Tony, but then these other guys just seem more of like human. Where JT's just fucking hanging out with MJ and like drinking beers with Jordan on the uh, on the PJ, like like uh, Hunter said. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. That's fucking awesome. I would love to be that, but like that's not most of golfers. Like most golfers that I know, who and like I know a ton of guys who have gotten on tour being where I'm at. Like I know guys who have been sleeping in their car grinding from mini tour event saying the things like, bro, if I don't make something happen, I think I'm done. I've heard those conversations and I've seen those guys on tour now. So, you know, being able to see that, like, I think I can draw from that going into this. So, dude, I want to um, take you back yeah, to I mean, your decision of like, all right, I want to do this now. Like, cause you kind of briefly, like, where were you at in life or what was going on where you're like, you looked in the mirror kind of thing where you're like, all right, this is it. Like, can we go to that? Because, dude, life is hard. And like, I always preach doing the hard thing because it's tough. But it's like, dude, we have to live this beautiful life. And if we're going to do that 
and become the person we want to do. We're going to have to go through, through some adversity, man. And like, it might not always be up and to the right. Like there's, you're going to go up, you're going to go down. So that's why, you know, I really want to just talk about that moment and document that moment in, you know, verbal form of you just, I don't know, what was it a conversation with your wife and your daughter? Were you looking in the mirror one day or you're like, fuck, I got to do this? Or, or what was that moment? Dude, take me to fucking that moment. So it's a combination of things. Like it's something I've been like, you know, like I went and started basically being a teaching pro earlier this year because my wife was a nurse for a long time, right? Well, she's had some things happen in that career that have made her really not want to do that anymore. And I completely understand. And she tried to help me when I was a golfer. So she's just basically a stay at home mom right now who is finding her way, who is like building a lot of really cool things on her own. Like she's doing some really cool art and things like that. Um, so I'm kind of, I stepped back earlier this year to just go be a teaching pro and just like caddy once in a while. Um, but I was fucking miserable. Like I loved that I could try to support my wife, but like, fuck, I couldn't even do that as a teaching pro. I wasn't even making enough money to support my family. So like giving lessons full time, wasn't doing it. So I had to go back to caddying and go, okay, well I'll go caddy and I'll pay the bills. And then, you know, I've been pondering this and pondering this, like, what am I doing? What am I doing? What am I doing over and over? Like, am I done playing pro golf? And is this, is this the end? Am I just like going to go right off and just, be a fucking caddy for the rest of my life and i i know the answer was no but i didn't if that makes any sense i caddied for this girl uh named libby fleming she plays for uh texas tech yeah she's they have their, i like, saw her on her on your instagram actually that's when i first saw you yeah stripe show right uh got along good she pushed my buttons to where it was pretty funny we were having a conversation i can't remember how it came up but one of the girls in the group asked me like, oh, are you going to go back to caddying on tour? Or are you going to do this? And I was kind of like looking around. And Libby, without even letting me say anything, had obviously learned enough about me because I'll overshare or whatever. But she just goes, he has no fucking clue what he's doing. And that hit me hard. Mm-hmm. And then she said something else along the lines. I was like, well, maybe I'll go get sponsored again. Or maybe I'll try to go. I don't know. Maybe I'll try to actually just go do it. I was like, I probably could. But I don't know if I want to ask some people for money and like, not that I have anybody to ask for money anyway, but if I were to go find them, I don't know if I want to. And then she goes, well, you must not believe in yourself then. And I was like, fucking cut me deep, girl. Yeah. Jeez. And then like like, some college kid, dude. That's why I'm like, you're 20 year old. What do you know about this? (laughs) Where's this wisdom coming from? You know, like, how is this cutting me so deep? And then I thought about it for a couple of days after that. And I was down there and I texted my wife and I was like, I think I was like walking down to Pebble for a loop at, it was like six o'clock in the morning. I had, first thing I texted her, I was like, if I save up a bunch of money and we can pay for our living expenses next year and I can somehow figure out how to get funded, would you support me going playing pro golf again? Like I want to do it and I want to get on a major tour. I won't be satisfied with myself if I don't try for a few years and just fucking go. And see, if I don't do it, fine, but I want to try. Like, because we're both early risers, took maybe four seconds for her to just be like, 100%. Fuck yeah, whatever you have to do, do it. And I was like, I'm fucking going. And then like, within a few days, I heard your podcast with Hunter and Marty. And then I got in touch with them and then got the ball rolling with them. And so it was like, I went from like, Dude, I thought you had I known Marty before, but 
Like that was it. I've seen him in a tournament here. He probably didn't even know who I am, but I know I've seen him in passing in a tournament, Uh you know? Um, yeah. So it was one of those things where it was like, yeah, I knew I kind of wanted to this year, but I didn't know how, I didn't know how I was going to make it happen. And then like an event led to another and me kind of like midlife crisising it. Like, you're right. I don't want to fucking be a caddy forever. Like I really don't. I want to go play golf. That's what I feel like I was put on this earth to do was to go play on a major tour. I don't know what tour. I don't care if it's Asian tour, DP world tour, PGA tour live. I could care less. I really don't. I just want to be able to support my family playing golf. And so, you know, I just, I basically got it out to where like, that's what I want to do. I'm going to make it happen. Uh, and I'm definitely one of those people where it's like, if I say I'm going to do something, I'm going to do everything I can to do it. All right. So, so that was just a couple months ago then essentially is really like where we're at in, in your story. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, so like I said, like I was always full effort, but didn't know where to put the effort and didn't know like how to get the resources or anything. So, um, yeah, I mean, just putting it together, like, okay, if I can, I can get my family to move into a, a, a trailer basically <laughs> in the back of my wife's aunt's house and get them on board, lower our cost of living. So I don't have to make a living right away playing golf. And I can get that. Cause like, that's always been the difference is like the guys that I know that get there, they get to play for a full year or a few years. I've never played for a long stretch like that. I feel like I start to get hot and then I run out of money. So it's like, I can't do anything with it. So for the first time ever now, it's like, that's the goal. That's the plan is to play for like three years and see, just see how good I can get. You know, like I'd love to be the Justin Thomas that has like, oh, I'm going to do this. I'm going to win, you know, twice. I'm going to do that. Like I have goals, but they're more like process oriented, like do everything you can with every day with a routine and get onto a solid routine. And if you can accomplish those things, you'll get better at golf. And if you can get better at golf, then maybe you can just kind of see how good you can get with it and then kind of let results take care of themselves. Um, versus in the past, I've always just kind of focused on like the money of golf and everything. So now it's, it's right. very much shifted to, let's just focus on what I have to do. Well, dude, that's what's so crazy about golf is you can like play well in your mind, but like you might not put up a good score or vice versa, you know, like you could play right. like shit and just put up a good score. And like, you just happen to be like on the leaderboard at some point. So I don't know. I think like going to going back and being like super process orientated is super important, just like in anything, you know what I mean? So when you look at your process, like, you know, since that decision you made a couple months ago to now, like, can you walk us through kind of like how you think about structuring your day? Cause obviously you still have to caddy through the end of the year. So we're looking at like a couple more months, but like, how are you fitting Mm -hmm. it in? Or like, how do you kind of, uh, how do you get better in this time period when you only have a certain amount of time to get better, you know? Yeah. So it's definitely like doing things that I wasn't comfortable doing before. Like I've never really been an early morning guy. And now like my alarm set at a quarter to five every day. Yeah. Uh, so Dude, I you're doing like hip mobility stuff. I saw on your, on your story. Yeah. Too. Yeah. Yeah. Like working out with a trainer who was a college football player. Who's yeah. a, a really good golfer too. I mean, he's a scratch golfer who's competitive in his own right. Mm-hmm. But he works with like a bunch of high school and college volleyball players and some elite athletes and stuff like that and he's just a buddy so as soon as he found out i wanted to do something he was all on board with helping me mm-hmm. and it's like well when you have a guy like that that wants to help you say yes because you need a team so i started doing his uh workout program uh just trying to put on a little bit of weight 
get a little faster, get a little stronger. Um, dude, cause I'm 33 and 160. I know that's not going to cut it in a couple of years. I need to be more like 175 and get my ball speed up to like mid to high 170s. Mm-hmm. You know, 167 to 170 is definitely not going to cut it in a few years. Right. Um, so it's kind of like, you know, I'll wake up in the morning. Let's, uh, I'll run you through a typical day if, day if I'm going to uh, caddy. Okay. Right. I'll wake up at a quarter to five. I'll go to the gym at like Anytime Fitness in Monterey, basically straight out of the van. Uh, do a workout for like usually like mobility for like 15 minutes and I'll do a workout for like 45. Uh, and then if I have what's called a report time for caddying, which is like what time I'm supposed to show up. If it's a later report time, I will go to like Bayonet or, uh, Del Monte and I'll go chip and putt or hit range balls for, and I usually have pretty specific routines and things that I'll do in those. Uh, like I do the same drills over and over and I don't deviate. Like I just work on the same stuff over and over. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll do that for maybe four hours and then I'll go caddy and that'll pretty much be my day. Uh, if I'm able to get a job early in the morning, I'll do that same wake up routine. I'll go caddy in the morning and then I'll try to go play in the afternoon somewhere like mm-hmm. Domani or Bayonet. Um, and I'll just pretty much rinse, repeat that all the time. Some days I have to caddy twice to pay the bills. So like there are a couple days where I'll go two or three days in a row and I'll just work twice and I won't even get to play golf. I won't even get to like, I'll try to chip and putt, but that's few and far between. Mm-hmm. Um, Dude, when I was that's playing a, a lot, typical... like whenever I missed a day, it felt like I'm, Oh my God. Like I can't, yeah. I, I like, I'll touching a club after a couple days. Like I'm, I lost everything that I've gained, but I don't know. I also believe that like, dude, being efficient, I think, in practice is an interesting thought, too. Like, to think, all right, I have eight hours yeah. to do something is is interesting, right? Because if you have eight hours to do something or you have two hours to do something, I don't know what the rule is, but there's, like, some scientific rule or whatever. It's like, you're going to get done what you have set to do in this the amount of time you have set to do it, if that makes sense. So, like, you can be efficient, yeah, yeah. I think, in your time. But if you give yourself so much time, it's like, dude... You know, you're, you're not like maybe being as initiative or as efficient and productive as possible. Does yeah. That make sense? It's kind of like a law of diminishing returns sort of thing. Yeah. Um, that makes sense. Uh, yeah, I work with a coach. I actually need to go touch base with him uh, at a Sacramento called Phil Dawson. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's performance golf Academy. He works with like uh, elite college players, some PJ tour, Latin and Canada players, a couple corn fairy guys, um, mm-hmm. maybe a couple PJ tour guys even. Um, he keeps things, uh, real simple and real tangible. Like I basically see him a couple times a year and I just work on the same stuff that I work on. It's just the same basic checks and basic drill drills that I'll do mm-hmm. like the Bible. I'll just do it every day. And that's all I do. I don't like, I don't do anything else. When I putt, I pretty much do like decade speed drills, which are in the app. Um, and like a simulated putting sort of thing where I'll play like, 18 holes of putting and I'll uh, pick very different distances and kind of keep track of my score and things like that. I'll do a a thing where I try to get up and down from just garbage lies around the greens. I'll go to a practice green. I'll drop a ball 18 different lies, 18 different times, try to get it up and down at least 12 out of 18 times, which is, you know, 66% or whatever. Mm -hmm. If you can do that, you're playing at a PGA tour level, but I'll make sure I drop the ball in gunchy crappy lies and short side myself. Mm-hmm. So I'll do those drills and those games with myself. Just like that's my routine. I do that all the all time. Right. 
And then if I have time to play, great, I'm going to go play. That's one thing I was going to ask. It's like, like, are you trying to play a lot too? Or is that, is it more of like practicing on fundamentals and then playing? (laughs) I try to, but that shit costs money, (laughs) you know? So that's the other problem because we're trying to shed light on the whole situation too. It's like, that's another thing that exists. It's like, dude, that's a fucking problem too, right? Bro, if I'm going to go hit range balls, that's 10 bucks. If I want to go play though, that's 35 to 75 bucks. I'm not a member at a golf course down there. That costs a ton of money, you know? So like right now it's like I have to maximize my efficiency with the facilities that I have, which is also like I try to use it to my advantage. Like you, you can play the same facility all the time and become complacent. I'm not saying that everyone does, but that can happen. So it is kind of nice to bounce around from facility to facility and grass to grass and surface to surface and learn how to adapt. Mm-hmm. Um, but that being said, like, dude, you got to get rounds into your belt. Like, and right, right now I'm not really getting that. So I'm hoping that going forward, I'll be able to start playing more as like I dial the caddy life down. I'll become more of a full-time player. I'm just like in this weird half in half out kind of thing. Does that make sense? dude well anything else okay living in a van dude we didn't really talk about that either so like that's (laughs) painting the picture for the listener like dude you're living in the van you're fucking committed right like that's bad 100 percent. yeah like van life to the max for taylor yeah um i mean it started off when i first bought it in 2020 because uh travel was really expensive during covid with like we had to there was a lot of restrictions like you couldn't stay together for a while and so you had to stay by yourself and that wasn't cost effective uh so I figured out that if I just bought an empty cargo van, uh, I drive a like a Dodge Ram 2500. Mm-hmm. So like a high roof kind of thing. It looks like a Mercedes, the kind of thing, but not quite that. Um, I bought that for like $20,000 back right when COVID hit and people were having a hard time selling cars. Now yeah. I could probably sell it for twice that. Oh, yeah. uh, but for a while, it was just air mattress and a floor. And now it's like I got the floor, I got a couple shelves, and I've got like a bed frame in the back with an actual mattress that sometimes I don't even want to get up out of because it's so comfy Yeah. Uh, with the blackout curtains. So I can go super incognito and just looks like a cargo van for Dude, the most are you part. 17 mile drive or like, where do you park that puppy? Do you like park it at Cypress? No, I'm just kidding. There. I've got some locations. Yeah. yeah we <laughs> I've can't got some spots. Close. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I drive a Dodge Ram. It looks exactly like this. No. Yeah. No, I'll yeah. stop. I'll stop. Yeah. I got plenty of spots though, honestly. And I do have some buddies that just let me park outside their places for the most part. Like I do try to keep it legal. You know, but every once in a while when you, you got to do what you got to do, you know, when I drive to a golf course for a tournament, first and foremost, the question I always ask is, can I park there? Like, can I just park in your parking lot? I have a gym membership. I promise I'm a clean bum. I go shower every day, <laughs> you know, uh, but that's usually what I try to do. Um, it's great because it saves a ton of money on hotels and everything. Like, like, dude, I don't, I don't have to stay in hotels for the most part. Like, if I'm trying to do something like this coming from where I'm coming from, like I don't have the capital to just be like, cool, I've got a hundred K I'm going to pay for all this. Like, dude, everywhere I drive, I can stay. I'm good. People honestly sometimes try to offer me a place to stay. And I'm like, my bedroom's right there though. I'm all right. Dude, you got a comfy I've, bed too, right? I mean, the sticks fit. Dude, in there, I've become really need, accustomed you know? to it. Yeah. Yeah. I've grown accustomed to it. I'll tell you that. It was weird at first, but uh, you get used to it. That's about it. All right. Well, dude, closing thoughts. I mean, is there anything else you want to bring up um, before we, we take it out of here? Because it's, you know, we're hitting that hour 30 mark. So anything you want to just like get off your chest? No, dude. I mean, honestly, just appreciate the time and the interest in the story. Um, yeah. I'm excited to see where things like drive for the dream go. Uh, 
I have no like real expectations of what's going to happen for me and my future. Uh, I know good things are going to happen and I'm going to do everything I can to, to get there. Um, and you're catching me at a cool time, man. It's going to be kind of interesting to watch it all fold. Whether I go down in flames or not, I'm hoping to entertain some people. That's for sure. <laughs> you know, but obviously the goal is like, I'm going to get there, man. Like I'm going to do everything I can. So dude, I'm reading this book right now. It's, it's, it's the Elon Musk, you know, like biography and like, oh, yeah. dude, he started sure. SpaceX and then he started Tesla, but dude, he literally crashed four rockets. It blew up yeah. four rockets, but he kept going, man. Right. It's like, dude, if Elon can 100%. fucking do it, we can do it, baby. Let's go. Right. That's, and that's the same kind of mindset I'm honestly trying to adapt is like, dude, you can get there. You just also have to understand that failing is a fucking massive part of it. So like, rather than looking at failure as surface value, I'm trying to look at failure nowadays. Like, dude, I played like shit in a tournament yesterday. I tried to just learn from it instead of like judge myself from it. That wasn't easy. I'm still learning how to do that. And there were still times where I was like, man, I want to call myself a piece of shit right now. <laughs> you know, like, but how do I learn from that? So like Elon Musk mentality, you got to just go through it and you got to endure. Right. Right. <laughs>